right, well, that's one complete re-breakdown. I love pilots. Come on, Liz, it's a fun job, and we enjoy it. Oh, right, I keep forgetting. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to focus on work during Armageddon. We'll also have a take two on creating likable characters. We asked you all for your take, and you gave it to us. This week's Hollywood hack is inspired by my recent travels. And finally, we had another celebrity sighting at Hugo's, our favorite lunch spot. But first, an update. Okay, in episode 129, we talked about how we were going to say, there is no room for you here to anxiety, which is great when we remember to do it. Right, that's the problem, remembering to do it. Why? Why is it so hard? Like, it really does work. If I take a beat and say, anxiety, there is no room for you here, 100% I feel better. Um, I haven't done it once because I haven't remembered (laughs) until you reminded me. You were like, I need to say this more. I'm like, oh, I need to say it like at all. (laughs) I think we need a sign, right? Yeah. I think, you know, in our old office, we had our mantras on the wall. We had don't treat a gift like a burden on the whiteboard, like all of these things that help us focus and keep our minds in a specific place. They were on the wall. We did see them every day. So I I think like in our new office and we need to get that stuff up on the wall. We, I think, yes. We, and I mean, this is a good quote. Like, this one might be worth really doing something cool and always having it up. Like an Etsy trip, a trip to Etsy. Yes, I think so. Anxiety, there is no room for you here. Yes. So we'll keep working on that. If we remember to also, remember. Yes. <laughs> Also, Sarah, I want to remind everyone that Gretchen and I are still on tour with Happier Hour with Gretchen and Elizabeth. We are having so much fun. So come see us and bring your friends. We're doing our final shows of 2019 in Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn. You can get tickets at GretchenRubin.com slash events. Okay, it is time for From the Treadmill Desks of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it is seriously pressing, (laughs) and it's how to work during Armageddon. Yes, it really does feel like the world is coming to an end, especially here in Los Angeles. For one thing, there have been so many horrible fires, and we are still smack in the middle of fire season. Yeah, no, it literally, when you go outside, feels like the end of the world is coming. Yeah, and the Santa Ana winds are the worst or, you know, the 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 gustiest they have ever been, or at least in anybody's recent memory. Yeah, like as we're recording, we're under, what's it called? An extreme, extreme which is rare, warning. very rare. They haven't done one in like decades yeah. to be in an extreme wind event. Um, the other day, I was wondering if I should even leave my house because yeah. the Getty fire was raging. I texted you at like 6.15 yes. in the morning. Um, and it, I mean, 
luckily for us, I mean, you always feel bad saying, luckily it went the other way because, of course, somebody else is suffering. Is the other way, um, yeah. But it, it, it ended up going away from us. But, I mean, any time a new fire could break out, you know, right by us. Yes, um, no, I mean— right by you. I mean, you're in a— Urban, more urban area where it's you're safer, quote unquote. But yeah. um, regardless, but we both certainly know people who are evacuated oh, yeah. right now. We know, you know, it's it's a very stressful just environment to yes. be in. And, and the and, smoke schools have been closed due to smoke, so you just feel like it's burning down. And of course, it's not just the fires. No. It's like everything else going on, sort of around us. The kind of incessant notifications on every device we have about just world events. Yes. I mean, the news is a lot of what's making us feel like it's Armageddon. We're sort of like, how are we supposed to worry about the Axe re-break <laughs> when every news notification provides, like, some fresh horror or some some new wrinkle to the ongoing story of what's happening in D.C.? It's just endless. Yeah. It really— it, feels like an, just an endless assault. Yeah, and I mean, for us, Sarah, even if we put down our phones, even if we, we don't have a TV in your office, thank goodness, yeah. nonetheless, though, we work on our iPads. And so these yes. little notifications pop up, and I'll be like, oh, did you hear so-and-so is going to testify? Or you'll be like, oh, now there's a fire in this Pulvita Basin. Or, you know, it's just nonstop. <laughs> it is. So yesterday we were asking ourselves, how do we— Concentrate, because yeah. we have a tremendous amount of work to do that requires a lot of concentration. Yeah. Okay, well, Sarah, we're distracted. Everyone is distracted. So what do we do? Because it's not like we can just stop paying bills, you know. That would be nice. I, yeah, I wish we could. I, as we were talking about this, we were pretty much stumped. Yes, ignoring Armageddon, it seems impossible. So we did what we often do when we need advice about how to buckle down. You called Gretchen. Yes, I did. I called <laughs> Gretchen and I said, here's our problem. How are we supposed to work during Armageddon? Do you have any ideas? <laughs> and unsurprisingly, she did. She had several Thank ideas. Thank God. So the first thing she said is prepare. So uh. if you're ready for a disaster, you can spend less time worrying about a disaster. Now, I have to say, I've done nothing to prepare. I don't have go bags. I don't have documents secured. Um, don't have supplies. You're much better on that front than I am. I, yeah, I for sure am, but I also am in a little bit of a state of flux with my supplies. Like, I have a go bag, but mm -hmm. it's in the dining room because I need to update the clothes in it because they've gotten too small for Violet mm. uh, and too big for me, I think. So, mm -hmm. like, I need to get different clothes for both of us in go bags. So I have to get the clothes. So in theory, I have like a preparation plan, but I'm not, I don't actually have it ready to go. So Some I'll other do that. things, by the way, they were saying is just keep your gas tank full during this time. Keep all your devices charged. And keep your chargers for your devices keep, charged. Yes, you know so your little just charge supplemental everything. chargers. Yeah. So I need to work on the preparedness, and I need to work on having with Adam, like, a plan. Like, okay, if we are evacuated, where are we going? Yeah. You know, et cetera. Me too. I need that. Okay, now, her other advice, which I think for you and me is the most important piece of advice, is 
and the hardest is turn off notifications. Yeah. I was like, is that even possible? Like, I just never got a notification. occurred to me. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It didn't even occur to me that I could turn off notifications. I don't remember ever turning them on. So I don't, they just sort of appear. Right. I don't, we probably didn't turn them on. They probably come that way. So I think after we record, we need to go and turn off notifications. Okay. Good advice. We will do that. Other things she recommended are schedule time to work. Uh, I think that would be, for you, especially yes. good. Because we, we both have sort of, you know, free-floating yeah. anxiety in general, but you definitely have more than I do. Yes. So if I just schedule a time to worry about whatever it is, whether it's politics-related <laughs> or fire-related or hurricane-force winds-related, schedule time to worry about it. You will, you're flying over the next couple of days. You could decide that, like, your plane time is your worry time. I'm not Although sure a plane that is awful. a good time no, no, no. to worry. Good point. My plane time, I'm planning to work on the plane. <laughs> the car to the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she also said, though, you can schedule time to browse websites. So schedule time to worry, but also schedule time. Say, okay, at 11.45, we're oh. going to turn on CNN. We're going to, you know— check deadline. We're going to do all of our things for these 15 minutes at these times of the day. So we're not just sort of popping in and out randomly onto websites. That's a good idea because also we just work and work and work. We'll go for hours, especially when it's hot and we can't take a walk. Better to have like that 15 minute time that we're both like, okay, we know at, at this time, time we'll set an alarm for yeah, it and we'll just yeah. just take the break. Yes, rather than sort of taking 30 seconds here, a minute here, just... Yeah, which interrupts with, everything. Exactly. Um, the other thing she said is that remember that being obsessed with the news is a form of procrastination. Mm. She's like, you don't have to... She's like, yes, you need to be informed, but you mm -hmm. don't need to be informed second to second. I think that's usually true. These uh, days, and that this yeah. is what makes it feel like Armageddon, it's harder to—well, I mean, I guess that is why it's potato chip. But it yeah, does feel like it's just— she calls it potato chip news, where yeah. you just take bite after bite after bite yeah. after bite after bite after Except, bite. Except, like, these days it's more like one bite is a potato chip, the other bite is a donut, the other yeah, bite is a—you know, right, it's that's just true. like, you know, there's so much. But, yes, good—I uh, I take I definitely take— what she means, and I agree. Yes. Her thing is plan our news meals. Don't just graze all day. Yeah. So, I mean, I think these are a lot of good suggestions, and we're just going to have to implement and, and see how it goes. Okay. We'll report back. We shall. Yes. How, what do you do, listeners, to stay focused during Armageddon? Whether you're in Los Angeles or not, we all yes. have our own Armageddons happening. Um, we want to know. Email us or send a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Coming up, we've got a take two on the subject of character likability. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Factor's 
fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, it's time for take two. In episode 122, we talked about how we, and really every writer, during the development process, constantly get notes about making characters likable. And lately, that's transitioned into a note about making characters accessible. Which I can't even say. <laughs> yeah, so I'll say accessible okay. whenever it comes up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we asked all of you as TV watchers, what makes characters likable to you? What makes them accessible? Do you think they need to be likable and accessible? I mean, I happen to love detestable characters. I love every single person on Succession, and they're not likable at all. Yes, and so our listeners had some great thoughts on this. Rachel wrote in, If I think of the shows that I've loved over the last few years, some of the characters are sometimes likable and sometimes... Accessible. But oftentimes neither. Billions, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, The West Wing, Succession... See, I can say that. Homeland, Killing Eve, Fleabag, The Good Wife. The only definition that makes sense to me when applied to the above shows is that it's their behavior and motivations make sense to me. So maybe they mean more that they have personal integrity, i.e. Mm. their decisions and actions make sense in the context of what we know about the character. I was also wondering whether it depends on genre. Thinking about other shows I like, the ones where characters are more relatable in terms of lifestyle are comedies mm. such as Catastrophe or This Way Up. Although, again, these often feature people who aren't always likable, certainly in the case of Catastrophe, but I love that show. Mm -hmm. The only show that I can think of where characters are accessible and likable are This Is Us. Hey, you said it that time. I did. Yeah, and it's interesting because, of course, This Is Us is a network show. It's on NBC, and I think broadcast networks are definitely more concerned with characters being likable than streaming and cable. Yes, and streaming and cable, if you have a smaller audience that just loves your show, that's fine. But for broadcast networks, they just need to have characters who have, uh, like, a broader appeal. Yeah. Sarah, we had a voicemail from a listener um, who talked about this in terms of one of my all-time favorite shows, if not my all-time favorite show, Mad Men. Let's listen. Hey, Liz and Sarah, this is Christine from Brooklyn calling to weigh in on the likability factor slash question. For me, when I think about it, I feel like it's about a sense of humor. Um, and I'm thinking about like specifically Mad Men. Basically all of those characters, except maybe Sally, did pretty bad, hateful, horrible things. But at least at points, they showed a sense of humor about themselves about their situation or about what they did or they apologized and I think that is why they just were so engaging for like eight seasons so that's my two cents good luck and I'll be listening thanks bye 
So sense of humor. I mean, that's a really good point. If you're funny, you don't have to be so likable. Which goes to a show like Catastrophe as well. I love that show. They are not likable, but they are very funny. Well, and Succession is very funny. In fact, you know, I'm in two Succession Facebook groups, Sarah, (laughs) and there's a lot of debate about whether it's a drama or a comedy. Some people think it's actually a comedy. So I see it as a drama, but it is that funny that people debate. So I think she brings up a really good point. Yeah. Well, and Elizabeth brought up two of your favorite shows Again, Mad Men and Succession. She wrote, the answer is Don Draper. No, sexiness aside, he hurts people, lies, cheats, etc. But we know the origin of his flaws, so you care for him. Don't you feel for Logan's children at all? This is Succession. Um, Especially Kendall. Jeremy Strong plays him so beautifully, he looks like a seven-year-old boy in posture, demeanor, can see Logan and mom's impact on that poor child. I think horrible people make great characters, but you need to hint at the origin of their worst traits. When you can imagine someone as a child being hurt, it makes them vulnerable, and then you care for them. Well, that's really true. And that is actually my issue with succession. I find Jeremy Strong, I mean, I can't watch him. You feel too much for him. Yes, I cannot handle his pain. Right. You you relate to him too much. (laughs) I'm just like, no, I reject The son of a, the scion of a billionaire. (laughs) I just connect too strongly with him. (laughs) Well, Judith had a similar thought. She said, for me, the important thing about making a fictional character someone I want to watch is that they seem like a real person. So rather than, quote, likable per se, I need to see why they are the way they are. Perhaps complexity is the word for this. And I don't know what accessibility means, but in fiction, characters can be anyone and don't have to be people. So if it means relatable, that's more about their personality than any surface attributes. So that's interesting. It's really about understanding why people do the things they do. They can do horrible things as long as you understand why. I mean, Tony Soprano is another example of this. They showed season one how awful his mother was Mm -hmm. to him. And I think he could therefore do anything and people forgave him. Yeah. It helped that he was sort of revealing his emotions in the therapist's office as well. Yes. Like you got to see yes, behind. All of it. Well, and also yeah. he was just a very likable person yeah. much of the time. Didn't he and Vic Mackey, of course, start this anti-hero thing? Yes. And of course, we find Vic Mackey to be just one of the most lovable, yes. wonderful characters ever. But of course, he's horrible. Yes, yes. But, you know, we sort of lived in that world very deeply for many years. So we, his point of view made perfect sense to yes. us. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, a lot of people brought up succession. Um Alex said, very few succession watchers are mega billionaires, but I bet the vast majority have complicated relationships with a parent or sibling. Even if they're not fighting to inherit a media empire, most people can relate to competition with a sibling or disapproval from a parent. It's this accessibility and relatability that makes these characters interesting and has us investing in them. And then Amanda wrote, just wanted to send you a note that something that makes characters more likable or accessible 
accessible, I did it again, (laughs) for me is a quirk that I recognize in myself or in others I know. I'm thinking about things like the coworker who always sorts recyclables from trash or someone who pronounces things a particular way, like hardcore emphasizing the T and exactly, (laughs) or someone who arranges clothes in their closet or books on the shelf by Roy G. Biv. So in the land of TV, I connected with Scandal's Olivia Pope because popcorn is always my stack of choice, and it seems like that was basically the only thing she mm-hmm. ate. I think this is probably more accessibility than likability as the traits may be connected to people I don't enjoy. That's mm. interesting. And this is a thing that actors very often ask for, mm-hmm. and I feel like executives also kind of hone in on this and say, like, okay, but what's their specific quirk? What's yes. their sort of character-defining thing? And I think as writers, we often feel like that can be hokey. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It's interesting to hear that that's something people that people really— yeah. To. Of course, Olivia Pope, I responded to the fact that she drank <laughs> wine out of the most enormous, tallest wine glasses. They were so insane, and she would chug glasses of red wine. It it always cracked me up. Uh, whoever the prop person on that show is, is like a genius oh, with those wine glasses. Amazing. Allison said, have you considered that character likability has more to do with external forces than the actual character herself? Why are some characters terrible, but people still like them? If the external forces that drive the character are strong and clear, I think it makes it easier for the audience to understand them. Perhaps the ones giving you the notes on character likability haven't thought about it in this way and are using this generic language of likability and accessibility to say that something isn't working, but they can't better describe the problem. Well, this goes, Sarah, to what we often talk about as writers, which is the note behind the note. Yes. A lot of times a note isn't about what is being said, but about sort of something deeper. Yes. Um, which is why small notes often lead to major rebreaking of stories. Because once you understand the notes, we're going through this now, yeah. you go, oh, shoot, we have to re- break this whole thing. Yeah. And uh, usually it makes it better yeah. if you just get to the note behind the note. Yeah. Okay. And then Allison continued, because I think this is so interesting. Uh, I just want to make sure we get this in, that I think some of my favorite books have strong external environments. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's mm. Stone, The Hunger Games, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. If you put those main characters in some other environment, it wouldn't have been as compelling. And that is so true. Mm -hmm. And this is why we always say we want to do shows in a very specific Mm -hmm. world. It does really matter that kind of external environment the characters are in. I was real—that's so insightful. Now, Deborah says, I know that prestige TV has moved away from likable characters— But my husband and I are a little old school. I want at least one person on a show I'm watching to be likable, at least enough to be redeemable. I want someone to root for. I watch TV as escapism, and I really don't want to be uncomfortable and challenged every moment. I have no desire to spend hours of my life on a show where I hate everyone. I know this isn't what you as writers want to hear. I just wish there were some shows on TV where there were likable characters for those of us that still want that. 
Well, Deborah, Rachel and Diana were very much in your camp. Rachel wrote, to me, it's not about whether a TV character is likable or not, but about whether I can root for them and have somebody on the show who I want to succeed. And Diana said, I need at least one main character, preferably more, who is likable enough for me to root for them, someone who is at least trying to do the right thing as they understand it. Though I appreciate the excellent writing in something like The Godfather, I've only watched it once because I don't like the characters at all and am not particularly invested and what happens to them. If you stop on the way to a family christening to murder a bunch of people, (laughs) maybe you need to be sent back to catechism for a couple of decades. (laughs) Well, good point. So, I mean, what's great about this landscape of television right now is there is room for everything. Like, there are, there's room for likable characters who you root for. There's room for complete assholes. Um, There's room for everything. Peak TV. Peak TV. (laughs) So we'll just keep on... I think, Sarah, you and I just have to keep creating characters that we like or we're interested in, and hopefully the audiences will love them as we do. Yeah, and I think this conversation, reading all of these emails and talking about them, I think will will be ultimately really useful for us as we're because we're deep in this right yes. now. Like well, we're creating lots and lots of characters. To me, the thing I really take away is the sort of internal integrity, the that what they're doing makes sense mm-hmm. based on their life experience. So even if we haven't revealed everything about a character, you know, at, at this point in the, you know, in, in where we are in, say, a pilot, if what they're doing makes sense, I think the audience will know that. Yes. You know, if they start doing random things, people pick up on that. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that we have, you know, we have these two broadcast projects. In one, the characters are each kind of every woman. Mm-hmm. In different ways. Yes. But they are supposed to be very relatable. Very likable. Yes. And then in the other, we have women who are not supposed to be every woman. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, this. the whole point is that they have, you know, come through something that not a lot of people get through in order to become plastic surgeons. Yes. So they sort of have God complexes and they can be arrogant Yes, but we still have to make each of those women accessible and likable yes. and relatable and, you know, all those other words and specific. Yes, by understanding why they do what they do. Yeah. So it's going to, it's very interesting. Thank so you thank very much. Thank you, everyone, for these insights. It's fascinating. Yeah. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, and it's get a travel size steamer. Yes. Now, you have needed this a lot lately because of all these live shows. You've been doing a lot of traveling. Yes. And I do not want to go on stage with a wrinkled (laughs) shirt. You know, I have my standards. Nor do you want to, like, get to a hotel and immediately be, like, calling to say, like, can I get my shirt steamed? Exactly. So I have been bringing with me this tiny little steamer. The one I have is the iSteam steamer for clothes. It is $26.99. There are others. That's just the one I happen to have. And it fits in any bag. I mean, it's tiny. Now, I will say the downsize is it has to be plugged in, you know, because it's not a full-size steamer. It's got sort of a short cord and, you know, Mm -hmm. you're a little bit limited. But I'm always just doing one shirt. So it doesn't matter for me. But what I love about it is that it just takes a little bit of water. It heats up in like 
30 seconds. Wow. It is so easy. I actually bring it with me to the theater every time and do my shirt right before we go on stage. Depending Your on mother, what I'm wearing. Depending if she's on what I'm listening, wearing. will love to hear that. That is awesome. And my love for this steamer, Sarah, uh, made me realize, oh, they also have travel size for other things like hair straighteners, hot um, brushes, all sorts of things come in travel size, and it really does save a lot of space in your bag. Yes. You may not want to clutter too much. Like, the problem well, with that stuff is it balance. has to be stored. That's the balance. Yeah. And that's why I haven't actually yet bought some of the travel size items in the hair accessory department because I'm trying to figure out which ones I'll actually use right. on the road, you know. Because I don't want to clutter up my bathroom. <laughs> anyway, I really recommend this. And I think if I'd had this, I would never have even gotten an actual size steamer for my house. Well, like, why this, would you? Yeah. This really works yeah. fine. Nice. All right. Next up, we have a, another Hugo's celebrity sighting. It's really a hot spot, this Hugo's. Yes. All right. But first, this break. Okay, Liz, it's time for our celebrity sighting. We've been going to Hugo's quite a lot, and I've seen other people there. I saw um, John Voight there years ago, but we pulled in, and there was this stunning woman coming yes, out of— blonde. Blonde woman come, in a baseball cap, workout clothes, not fancy at all. Yes. But still, you were like, hmm, and then she smiled. And we go, oh, that's Mariel Hemingway. The second she smiled, we both were like, whoa, Mariel Hemingway. Starstruck. Yeah. Now, for anyone who doesn't know who Mariel Hemingway is, well, one, she's the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway. So, I mean, right there, that's pretty amazing. She also <laughs> starred in Manhattan with Woody Allen when she was 14, a role that has become quite controversial Indeed. in later decades. Yes, we've gotten in many arguments about it. We have. <laughs> Um, and she also starred in Star 80 with Eric Roberts, who is Julia Roberts' brother. And that's a great movie. Yeah. She's, I mean, ridiculously gorgeous. And, like, she has that glow. Oh, she does. No, we knew she was famous yeah. the second we saw her. We just didn't know who she was. But we're like, there's no way that woman isn't famous. Yeah. And then again, when she smiled, we were like, oh, now we know who Yeah, it is. I was pulling into the parking space next to her as she was getting out of her car. So, yeah. like, she did that smile to be like, oh, you know, sorry, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just out getting out. Way. I'm getting, yeah. And then we were just like, oh, yeah, hi. Yes. <laughs> Very pretty. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Remember, we have a bonus episode up. It's us doing our American Beauties pitch, a pitch that we sold twice to Fox. If anybody's interested in that, <laughs> check it out. And we love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. 
Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and the new podcast from Whole30's Melissa Urban, Do the Thing. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Oh, my God. Every time we do this now, I think of that email we got from the woman who said, like, my son keeps saying, why are they only Liz Craft and Sarah Fain until next week? <laughs> I know. It's true. <laughs> I think that every time we do this now. I know. Why do we say that? <laughs> We're still Liz Craft and yes, Sarah Fain. always. Well, sometimes I'm Liz Fierro, but, you know. <laughs> I'm always Sarah Fain. From the Onward Project.